This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review In Casino Out by At The Drive-In. They constantly seem like they're on the edge of completely imploding. For two guys that, at least this point in the band, haven't really developed into technically great singers, they sure do sing a lot. Every song, it's stopping and starting. And... Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me again, my co-host, Jason Ziak. Jay? Yeah, I'm back. You're back. I don't know where you went, but you're back. <laughs> uh, we've got a um, I, I, we got a band tonight that we're going to review at the drive-in that I never really thought of as a 90s band until I actually started looking at their discography. And then I realized, oh my God, this really is a 90s band. They seem newer than that. Yeah, they seemed like a, a band of the 2000s and really only the album that I'm most familiar with, which is Relationship of Command. That was the only one that came out in the 2000s. It came out in 2001. Um, but everything else about this band was was a 90s band it was kind of interesting because i never really went back and listened to those earlier albums i'd i maybe listened to in casino out which is the album that we're going to review today on this episode i maybe listened to it once or twice when relationship of command came out but i I don't think i've still gone back yet to acrobatic tenement which is their first album and there's a bunch of eps and singles and stuff like that that they put out but were you familiar with at the drive-in prior to Relationship of Command coming out in 2001? Uh, I don't I don't think I was. I did go back and, and revisit In Casino Out, uh, you know, pretty soon after becoming a fan of uh, Relationship of Command. And I don't remember how much I listened to the other album, but uh, I think Relationship of Command was really my first introduction to the band. Well, that's a good point, or that's a good uh, starting point where we can get to the history of the band. History of the band. Uh, at the drive-in formed in El Paso, Texas in 1993. The original members were guitarist and keyboardist Jim Ward and vocalist Cedric Bixler Zavala. It wasn't until 96 that Omar Rodriguez Lopez was added on guitar and in 1997, Paul Hinojos was added on bass and Tony Hajar on drums. I think like, I got all those pronunciations right. Nice work. You've been doing your homework. I have been doing my homework. Now, there were other members of the bands, but that's the primary lineup that recorded what are considered the two, uh, I guess you would say, um, uh, primary albums. Acrobatic Tenement came out. In 1996, on flip side, it was recorded for $600, and that got them. Uh, they flip side, I believe, just sort of fell apart after that. But the album um, got them signed to Fearless Records, and that's where In Casino Out comes in. That was released in 1998. Like I said, they released a bunch of EPs and singles throughout their career, but I'm not going to get into those smaller releases because we don't cover singles and EPs. And then in 2001, the, the album that we mentioned, Relationship of Command, came out. And that came out on Fearless and, this was the important part, Grand Royal, which was the Beastie Boys label from the 1990s. Oh, that's right. And if you remember, they Grand Royal sort of bet the farm on at the drive-in. And it pretty much 
I think that was the last major release on the album. I mean, on the on the label. Hmm. Not a lot of bands do this, but upon releasing their most critically acclaimed and successful album, they broke up. Uh, same year that Relationship Command came out, uh, the band broke up. Uh, Cedric Bixler Zavala and Omar Rodriguez Lopez went on to form the band The Mars Volta. Jim Ward went on to form the band Sparta. Now, the reason why I picked At The Drive-In is because Mars Volta has a new album coming out next year. It was originally scheduled for fall of 2011, and then it got pushed back. But they've been good for an album every two to three years since the the breakup of At The Drive-In. Yeah. Just to want to touch on it real fast. Who's won the post At The Drive-In war? Sparta or, or Mars Volta in your mind? Um, I think right out of the gate, to me, it seemed to be Sparta. I thought the wiretap scars was really strong it seemed like they had a lot of momentum going but then they kind of fizzled out and Mars Volta has kind of um, I guess persevered they've they've stuck it out essentially I mean because it's two guys maybe that's easier but uh, they continue to forge ahead and I think they you know I'm not a huge fan of, of, the, of the band anymore uh, there were some interesting things on the first album but lately it to me it just seems like kind of jam music almost uh well it's but it's jam fu- music that seems like it's from like outer space yeah. like i don't even understand what they're doing half the time but i think they found an audience um yeah you know i think they found sort of the you know the pothead festival sort of audience you know that that that, that does exist and, and they found their audience and they seem to be happy about it it's kind of weird the to think back uh because in a lot of ways it doesn't seem that long ago uh, when we did first discovered this band. Uh, but I do remember thinking when they broke up, because it was so... I mean, for us, we had just discovered the band. I think, you know, I can speak for both of us in saying when we heard Relationship for Command, both of our minds were completely blown. It was mm-hmm. unlike anything that was going at least commercially, was going on at that time. Um, and then they just, they just broke up. And <laughs> it was sort of surreal or didn't seem real it uh i I sort of felt at the time that they were going to announce maybe a year later that they were going to get back together or something it seemed really strange well the Um, way that they uh uh, that it was sort of described was this was a band that struggled and struggled and struggled and they finally got a little they were they were so worn down by the struggle that even though they were getting a little bit of attention you know for a relationship command which didn't sell it didn't sell 10 million records i mean let's be honest it's, it's probably still hasn't broken i don't think it's broken a million albums if it has i'd be surprised but they were basically so worn down and they went out on an australian tour that they ended up getting in fights with the audiences and then they would cancel their european tour and they just said we're done we can't we can't stand to be around each other anymore and we don't want to deal with any of this you know bs that we're dealing with on the road and you can kind of tell that the band was fracturing musically because if you listen to Sparta, which is much more straightforward, I don't want to say indie rock, but it's just way more straightforward songwriting. And then you listen to what's going on in Mars Volta, which is sort of like King Crimson meets uh, some sort of... Santana? Um, meets Santana, <laughs> yeah. 70s I mean, Santana? 
it's way out there. Yeah, this isn't <laughs> Rob Thomas and Santana Jam and Smooth. This is this is serious '70s freak out. You know, yeah. Pink Floyd and and various other um, psychedelic uh, psychedelic stuff yeah. combined with the Latin element that they infuse. Mm-hmm. Also into their at the driving stuff, but m- way more so in the Mars Volta. No, but you, you can hear all of that stuff coming together on relationship command and you know when you separate the two bands out you you know you can hear how both elements uh came together and how they could be separated um which again to me i think we've talked about this in the past it's like those things all together makes it difficult to be in a band but it also makes the band that much greater because this sort of uh counter forces all balance each other out and get a really unique mix of of uh, influences and ultimately music. Now we should get to the album because I think that you start to see the differences in the two songwriters and and, and the sounds of, of At The Drive-In. Mm-hmm. In Casino Out, I would say it's not as bombastic as Relationship of Command, yeah. but it's, it's definitely... As frantic is the word I would use. That's the word I think of when I think of at the drive-in. They constantly seem like they're on the edge of completely imploding. Yeah. Because their rhythms and their guitar playing and his vocals, primarily Cedric Bixler Zavala's vocals, are just so on the edge. Uh, and it starts out, I mean, that's how the album starts out. Alpha Centauri is a frantic just assault of every every aspect of the band. Chanbara, yeah. Which you get that what would be a lot, what would be all over the Mars Volta stuff, which is that percussion, extra percussion, and a little bit of jamminess. Isn't? I mean, that song features some Spanish lyrics too, right? Yes. And, well, and tons we need to get into Latin his lyrics. <laughs> his lyrics were pretty fun to go back to and, and listen to uh, with a little bit of uh, perspective, let's say. Yeah, I actually have to keep the, the. I found a web page that lists all the lyrics for <laughs> yeah, the um, the songs. Yeah. Because, to be quite honest, I don't know what the hell he's singing about. Yeah. I mean, literally every song. I think I might have an idea, and then I go, "Okay, there's a line called There's a line that goes, Park is worn in summer apparel, sweat lodge comatose of broken arrows.'" <laughs> I don't it's, know what that means. It's just a bunch of smart sounding words put together. Well, I think I think what he's doing, at least I hope, or else I'm going to be really confused. I think what he's doing 
is he's finding the melody yeah and then basically applying words that fit the melody well which is a good way to write when you want to write something that's melodic but yet aggressive and edgy is to find a good melody well that's interesting because i i i guess i would i think that makes sense now that you're sort of talking through it uh listening to it i was kind of thinking it might be the other way around where it was more the manic street preachers approach where you just write a bunch of lyrics and then you figure out you know phonetically how to make melodies out of those and force those into the into the song and at times you end up with these awkward parts where there's like way too many syllables to say so you kind of just either force them in or you say the even say the word you know in a weird different way I could see it kind of going both ways, but it's definitely uh, a non-traditional approach uh, to writing vocal melodies for sure. He's definitely, I think he's picking his spots to say something, I don't want to say profound, but to make his point, whatever they are. I I just think a lot of it is wordplay and to be shocking with some of the vocals and, and use, you know, if you can combine a couple words that sort of, draw upon something that we're all familiar with uh a good example is in uh what's the song shaken hand incision at the end of this at the end of the song he sings stitched lips starched in a giggle in piles of clothing sleep the dead no wire coat hangers never again he's i think he's making reference to um the i think it's joan crawford mommy dearest she's like no wire hangers like and it's like a pivotal point in the movie and it's she's like this horrible mother i think that's the movie i am not a movie buff so if i got that wrong please do not oh yes uh, you are not of old movies like that. Uh, I, I'm 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 up on all like Vince Vaughn's bad movies. Like I I've seen, you know, uh, for for Christmases, and I've seen Couples Retreat. You've seen all of his Christmas work. I've seen all of his Christmas work. I've seen Fred Claus, <laughs> uh, and the really funny remake of Psycho. But I I don't know Joan Crawford's that well. But it, th- then I was also like, is he making a? Is that like a anti-abortion? Um, not anti-abortion, but pro-choice sort of comment about wire hanger, wire coat hangers, and hmm, never okay. again. You know, making is I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, it's I, it's up for interpretation, which is kind of it's nice in the sense that he's not spoon feeding his lyrics to you, but he's also really they're so dense and they're so even just reading them, I feel like I have marbles in my mouth sometimes. Yeah, but I think that's what makes them unique. In some ways, definitely, they sound, um, or he sounds to me like Rage Against the Machine a little bit. 
Um, but he takes on all of these characters with his voice uh, and different uh, tones and, and ways of phrasing. And, you know, he pushes things a lot, especially in this album. Uh, you can tell he's kind of pushing past where he's normally comfortable even. And sometimes, frankly, he's not even close to being on key, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, it's it's fine. It, it actually works. And it plays really well off of the uh, the craziness that is, you know, the, the combination of the two guitars. There's a couple lines that, though, that that I heard on here that I swear he's used in other songs. One was, uh, I know he's used guillotine before. In the last track, he has uh, a guillotine cancer. I was like, I've that's got to be on relationship man. Also, like he sings a lot about satellites and syntax errors and. There's like all these technology and aerospace references, and I swear that he's used more than once. They almost become cliches. You listen to uh, all three of their albums, and and the uh, the album. There's a compilation that came out after Relationship Command too. So technically, yeah, because there's four albums. But um, he's definitely unique, and his vocal delivery. Um, he's. By this point in Mars Volta, he, he's actually become you know a pretty, uh, pretty good technical singer. But uh, on this record, he he isn't quite there yet. But because of the attitude and the energy of the album, it's fine that you know he's off. It's it's kind of funny as I was listening to the album. It's like him and um, you know he sings a lot, and then Jim Ward sings a lot of backup stuff. Mm-hmm. And they sort of uh, you know they'll trade lines uh, back and forth or. Um, Jim Ward will sort of add a, a melody, a different melody behind um, what he's doing, and it, neither of them are particularly good singers. And they're, it, it's kind of funny that there's so much vocal on this album. You know, there's not very many, there's not very much time spent on this album where there's not a vocal on it. And uh, for two guys that, at least this point in the band, haven't really developed into technically great singers, they sure do sing a lot. <laughs> that's a good point but uh you know it's it it, you know i i I guess the thing about it that i liked is that um they don't they don't care (laughs) you know they're they're so impassionate uh, impassioned with uh, how they're going to deliver their line and how what they're trying to say and energy they're trying to bring across that it doesn't really matter and there's something about that Uh, maybe i'm just reacting uh, from being a musician there's just something about that that i just love the sort of the freedom in that and the, you know they're not self-conscious about it you know now, i know you like to pay i'm just gonna jump in here i know i know you like to pay special attention to what the guitars are doing and i think this is a really interesting band because of how much the two guitars play off of each other yeah what what rodriguez lopez and, and ward are doing especially with their picking of new orleans Head to suspense when that telephone rings. This is forever. Yeah. 
Um, Napoleon Solo is a good example, and uh, which is track four. Lots of picking and intertwined guitar lines. Same thing on track three, Hula Hoop Wounds. And pretty much every song, uh, well, not every song, but the majority of the songs, there's some sort of, you know, like crisscrossing guitar lines yeah. that you just did not hear in a lot of those bands. Like you'd have the one guy who's playing a lot of leads, but then you'd have somebody who's just playing chords essentially the whole time. And they do play chords. They do they do like hammer out the chords during the, you know, they get to a chorus and they just turn the volume up. For the most part, they're doing a lot of really intricate, you know, complex playing and it's fast. Was yeah. that sort of uh, it, something you picked out? Yeah, oh yeah, it's 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 amazing. The the way that they they'll come close to playing the same part but never quite playing the same part. Um I mean, there's even like on track uh, track six. I, I I was listening to the chorus and I don't even think they play that. You know, it's a chord progression, but every time they go to the progression, they play it a different way. Either at you know, just playing it in a different phrasing or a different emphasis or adding in different notes. So like as you're listening to one chorus, as they repeat the chords, they don't actually play them the same way, which is kind of insane. I've seen some clips of these guys playing live and you just can't help but listen to this when you listen to this album think about how well were they able to pull this off and how consistently were they able to pull this off live um, because there's so much back and forth there's there's no true definition of um, you know who's the rhythm and who's the lead guys they, they trade that I guess if I had to make a you had to make a definitive call you may say that Ward is the is the rhythm guy, but just because, um, what's the other his name? Lopez? Omar Rodriguez Lopez. He, he does a lot of, he, he does the bendy note stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of his trademark, I think. Uh, so he tends to, you know, kind of pop forward as more of a lead, I guess at times, but, but really that's, it doesn't, it's not that black and white. It's, it's pretty gray. Um, even tone-wise, um, on this album, things are a little bit muddier. Um, they're not quite as crisp and punchy as they are in Relationship to Command. It has more of like a, I guess, a Fender combo amp kind of feel where there's a lot of mid-tone and um, you know, the tone is a, is a little bit muddy, uh, not as quite much low and high-end. So, to, you know, to hear those parts played that way um, is interesting. You know the drummer's insanely good too. 
which oh he's crazy i mean especially like on shaking hand incision i mean it's just it sounds like the beginning of like a drum solo going insane and he's and it's it's interesting that he can do that and then on a song like hourglass which jim ward sings it's very restrained and it's you know it's a piano song which kind of it's similar i guess it's sort of a precursor to i think it's is it quarantine is on relationship command it's the piano song i can't remember the name of the title i think that's the title but it's an odd it's almost shocking when you consider the insanity that is most of the album and then a song like hourglass which is very mellow and and quiet comparatively I did want to point you said the the bendy notes track five pickpocket has a lot of those like single note bends uh i don't know what was going on in the early 2000s but like i think that was like the the thing to do because i remember hot rod circuit was all over the place with those single note bends yeah uh a lot of i don't want to call them emo bands but i guess they were like post-punk a little bit of emo a little bit of um indie single note bends were like the thing to do yeah. i guess because it's, yeah, it's yeah, easy yeah. but it, yeah yeah <laughs> it yeah just you, sounds, just, you just take one note you just bend it yeah. over and over again it just sounds insane and and um that song that's one of my favorite songs on the album it's very um it's kind of uh i want to say light but it, like maybe upbeat just in terms of the chord chord pattern used and the and the uh the key it's in and stuff for them it, it does a great Editive line more cal- more caliber per capita, which I don't know what that means, but I like the line. <laughs> uh, but the riff is uh, it's interesting. It's sort of like melodic, but kind of screwed up at the same time. Like the the combination of the two guitars, there's you know they kind of play off each other and they are very melodic and almost upbeat, but they're just kind of off in a weird way. It, it's an interesting song, and it's something that they don't really ever they don't do again you know the, for the most part relationship command is, is pretty dark sounding mm-hmm. um and the rest of this album is fairly dark sounding there's i think that song and the song after it have a little bit of a lighter feel to them uh, yeah because then track sound. seven is uh track seven a devil amongst the tail yeah is 
one of the most dissonant sounding songs I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Like the the guitars are dissonant, the vocals are dissonant. It's I, it's hard to listen to because it's so like dark sound. Even though it's you know I know it's just guitar chords versed in a you know or voiced in a certain way. But man, that's a dark song. That's more typical of what you know people people that have ever heard this band or know of this band would you know consider them to be. Those two in the middle, you know, they're more super chunk, I guess, than they are like, true hard post you know punk or hardcore, which you know some of the the beginning of the album and the and the, and the end of the album uh, are, are closer to. And I, I think what's really interesting too is you would think because this album. Is, it's more independent if they didn't have a big producer on it and it's earlier that it would be I guess harder more aggressive than the big label big producer relationship command and it's not um, which is I found that interesting and there's not a lot of bands you could say that about I think relationship command is way more angsty it's way more aggressive it's way uh, it's angrier um, it's louder. Um, this Definitely album, louder. Yeah. This album has has um, I think it has more quiet parts. It has more it has more variety. It's not quite as refined, and I don't think the songwriting is good. But it's just interesting to uh, to think about that because I, I think for most bands that we uh, we're going to review and have reviewed, you know, the independent albums, the early albums are the ones that are angstier and louder and you know, rawer and, and a little bit more you know edgy and angry um, than the commercial the, the album that's supposed to be the commercial you know high high production uh, release so I, I thought that was interesting it hadn't quite hit me until I listened to it now and compared the two just how how they contrast to each other you brought up super chunk I think that's a good uh, jumping off point to something we're going to try for the first time on this podcast, which is instead of talking about why this wasn't bigger, let's go the opposite direction and say, if you haven't heard this band, who might this be for? Well, for me, like I said, early, early on, my, my first reaction to them vocally, the only thing I could identify it with was Rage Against the Machine, which there's not a lot of bands that you could say, if you like Rage Against the Machine, you're going to like this band, right? I mean, they're sort of amongst themselves. There's not a whole lot of bands to leap off of uh, if you like them. But I think there's that element. You know, I guess if you're into early Super Chunk, there might be something here. You know, if you're into early emo, for sure. I mean, this is, this is right in that ballpark. I was going to mention some of the uh, Discord bands like Fugazi yeah. and yeah, and Jaw the early Jogbox. Yeah, all the posts you know, that kind of stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're not they're not quite as 
I guess those bands could be they're, they're a little bit more precise. I, I would I think of, of some of those bands, or at least uh, they're a little crisper. And uh, you know, they, at the drive-in has like kind of an MC5 thing going on with them. Like the energy is so high that you know things don't always lock up perfectly, and they're a little bit you know loose and raw like the stooges or something you know it's right or the mc5 it's sort of there's that spirit to it which is i think makes them fairly unique i don't know what other i kind of feel like i think the percussion and the rhythm section is what if you can't if you can't get into this band it's probably because of the assault of the guitars and the vocals but if you're looking for a way in, I think it's the rhythms that they're so good at keeping things propulsive and and moving forward. And, th- you know, when we talked about Alcohol Funny Car, I said that the thing that was missing was dynamics. This album is got dynamics up the ass. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's they could sell some dynamics to Alcohol Funny Car and still have leftover dynamics. Every song, it's stopping and starting and and. I don't even want to talk about how many different time signatures they're using. I mean, they're jumping around from part to part, you know, three, four to six, eight to seven, eight to five, four. I mean, there's just craziness yeah. all over the place, but, but, but they it, are able to tie all that together for the most part because they have such a good rhythm section. But see what's, what's weird. I think, I guess what I'm struggling with is that most bands that do that, doing it, do it in a very like precise, you know, academic, you know, progressive rock kind of way. And these guys aren't like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're oh yeah. You know, they probably don't even know what they're doing, or have any clue. You know about all the time signatures they're using and all the things they're doing. They're just doing them organically, and there's just sort of this crazy raw energy to it uh, that makes it it makes it pretty unique. It makes it hard to come up with other bands that you know are sort of in that ballpark. You know, I think that's a good set of bands. If you're into those bands, you'd want to check out this band. I did. We didn't really get anything of the, the negatives, but the one thing that I noticed in repeated listenings is I think that the back end of the album sags a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it just kind of slows down. They, the, a lot of the energy is up front. Um, even though some of the songs on the front end start slow, they build quite a bit. Yeah. And I, some of the stuff on the back end, there's no build to it. I'm thinking of Hourglass particular it sort of just goes on um lopsided yeah. is a little mellow it's heavy but it's mellow yeah that's my really like knock i guess i would say yeah is it, maybe- it definitely starts to uh i think after when you get to hourglass it starts to peter out well not even before that i mean to me five and six are, are highlights and then it tries to get heavy again and then there's it, it starts to ramble after that you know the thing that i guess that we um we're saying, but if you like this band, you know, you'll like them. I would guess at this point, Mars Volta is better known than these guys are. Is True. That, is that yeah. fair to say? I, th- I think so, yeah. So, if you're a Mars Volta fan and you haven't gone back and checked out After Driving, you're probably going to like this album. Well, it's hard to say. Would you, do you think they would like this album better than Relationship? Well, that's a good question because you know if you're into the jamminess of Mars Volta, these are really pretty concise songs. I mean, these are like three and four minute just blasts of energy, 
And I don't know that you're necessarily going to... You might like it because it's those guys. And you might like the playing and the, and the vocals. But in terms of the songwriting, I mean... I'm trying to think back, but I don't think anything on that first Mars Volta album is anywhere close in length. I mean, they had like nine and 12 minute long songs on that album. Yeah. And that, that would take up almost a third of the album. For This is a pretty condensed record when you think about it. I mean, they're, they are very tight in their songwriting, whether they know what they're doing or not. I'm sure that for the most part they do. Well, let's put it this way. They, if you like Mars Volta and you find yourself fast forwarding to the good part that good part is probably when they sound like at the driving yeah <laughs> so this is like a mars volta album with just the good parts i'm sure you just defended a lot of people <laughs> but we'll, we'll not we'll we'll talk about that uh, yeah. okay well i'm glad we went back to this record because I hadn't listened to it in probably 10 years and i probably listened to it once back then that's insane so, just what? hearing that that it's that old and we haven't listened to it in 10 years yeah well i you know i probably when they broke up i was probably like all right screw these guys they're not gonna make any more records <laughs> it was probably i was probably mad because I, I really liked that relationship of command album yeah. so uh and this, since i hadn't been introduced to them i do want to mention that we're taking suggestions for the end of the year show if you have a favorite band that we've introduced you to or one of our listeners has introduced you to you know let us know we're taking emails comments on the webpage. If you want to send in a little 30 second or one minute sample we'll play it during that last show we're going to bring our thoughts on our favorite bands that we discovered this year obviously like since i brought at the drive-in i can't pick at the drive-in as my favorite discovery of the year it has to be something i was completely you know um ignorant to before so you can't pick the cults self-titled album jay sorry wait what's the format I, we're I, gonna talk about what our favorite discoveries were of the first year is it a top 10 list not necessarily top 10 oh, okay. but if you i don't think i don't think we have enough for for 10 because between the stuff that we already knew about yeah and the stuff that we didn't like that might not even leave us 10 that we liked or oh it has to be albums not songs well we can that's we could do that too because i was I'm, thinking I'm, songs might give us a little bit more uh wiggle room let's say well how about we do a uh, favorite album and then uh top five songs and then okay. we can play those songs on the show okay so there you go folks deal favorite album top five songs send them to us we'll be uh playing those on the last show of the year our, our end of year wrap up where we'll be previewing next year we got a lot, a lot of bands. We got interviews. We've got elephants. We've got balloons. Clowns. It's going to be a big clowns. You get clowns. Cl- you get two clowns every week on the show. Yes. We're going to wrap this up. We're going to say adios. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Jay, thanks for reviewing At the Drive Ins in Casino Out with me. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation about this episode. Visit digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. Take, take